The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Between the 1st of January 2022 and the end of September this year, over 22,500 international protection applicants have arrived in Ireland. Last year we saw a record number of arrivals coming to Ireland to apply for uh, asylum. But uh, Barry White, um, you've been looking at the figures. They have not slowed down this year. Hey Pat, good morning. No, the numbers, uh, the number of asylum seekers arriving here have not decreased, although they did slow down around April and May. However, the numbers arriving have been increasing steadily on a monthly basis since then. Up until the end of September, 8,906 asylum seekers arrived here, 1,249 arriving in the month of September, while 1,152 arrived in August. And again, Pat, it's no secret that the government have been struggling to source accommodation for asylum seekers and refugees. It has even resulted in heated rise at Cabinet recently. And what we can see from these figures is this issue isn't going away anytime soon. Um, as I says there, the figures, they've actually increased. The number of asylum seekers have increased coming here in the last number of months. Um, there's also been dozens of protests across the country in the past 12 months. And in recent days, there has been criticism in Killarney after it was announced that 70 international protection applicants would be accommodated in another hotel, the Harmony Kings Court Hotel in the town. It'll bring the total number of asylum seekers in Killarney to 720. While there has also been a public meeting in Ross Lair this week over plans to house more asylum seekers there. And in the village of Cool in County Westmeath, locals have been protesting this week over plans to accommodate 98 asylum seekers in a vacant building in that village. Uh, the village has a population of just 200 and there's going to be 98 asylum seekers moving in there. And I spoke to these local people there yesterday. Well, there's meant to be 98 moving in here. Like, the population of Cool is only about 200. So, I mean, like, <clears throat> 98 people coming here. Sure, they're, they're just going to outweigh what we have here already. What's in the village? Very little. There's a shop. There's a pub. There's a post office. There's um, school, doctors. That's about it. What do you make of the government's kind of immigration policy? I think there's 22,500 asylum seekers arrived since January 1st last year. I Absolutely absolutely lost control I mean there's there's Irish homeless everywhere everywhere even the weekend I was in Galway and there was old, older men lying on the streets it's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous like What do you think the government should be doing here? Well they need to clamp down for starters because it seems in Ireland that absolutely anybody can come in here anybody yet if we were going somewhere on holidays you couldn't go up to Dublin airport without a passport it's ridiculous they're going to have to stop them coming in it's as simple as that they're going to have to stop them coming in. For me personally, at this stage, I can't even get to the local doctors. They're, they're full. But according to this landlord here, that these new people coming in, the 98 people coming in, they will have access to the doctors, the dentist facilities, where I can't. I say there's other people in the town as well who can't. They have to go to Mullingar Town to get to a doctor. There's, there's no bus route from here itself to Mullingar Town. But yeah, there's going to be specific buses made for these people. They're just going to have to put a complete stop. You don't want to be harsh on somebody, but you have to be hard. Say, no, we can't push this anywhere else. At the moment, they're putting people in tents. Those people in tents, it's now November. 
they have to come out of a tent and go into, into accommodation. There is nowhere to put anybody. So it just all has to stop at this stage. It's just getting beyond the joke now at this stage. I say people in a community of where there's only 200, there's nothing for us here, for we have our cars, we can go places, do our groceries, whatever, um, bring our children to cinemas and different things. But these people will have nothing. They're going to be brought to the grocery store a couple of times a week. That's all they're going to have. They're going to be left there with 38 euros, grocery shop twice a week and nothing to do. Do you have any idea how long the asylum seekers will be accommodated here in Coo? Uh, They're going to be accommodated. The contract is for two years. We don't know who's coming to our community. What do you make of the government's immigration policy in general? Like I was saying... The numbers of people coming into the country are not coming down. I mean, everyone is entitled to international protection, but, I mean, there's people who are coming here and they're playing a game. They're not, they haven't been at war. They're not at war. Their countries are not at war. The government need to clamp down and study these people coming into our countries. Give the people that need international protection, give it to them. But don't give it to the people who don't deserve it, who don't need it. Don't give it to the people who don't need it, said that uh, person in Cool. A a number of issues surfacing there. First of all, a town with nothing to do. And if you don't have a car, you can't go anywhere. What are you going to do all day? Um, The proportion of uh, the asylum-seeking population to the indigenous population of the town. And then the services or lack of doctors, dentistry and, and so on. So... Via a freedom of information request, you receive details on actually how asylum seekers are arriving in the country. Well, that's what I was trying to find out, Pat. Now, what we do know is that if someone is coming to Ireland as an asylum seeker, there's a number of ways to enter the country, flying into one of the country's airports, mainly Dublin, or arriving into one of the country's ports would obviously be the main routes into the country, you'd think. But the figures I've received paint a slightly different picture. So of the over 22,500 asylum seekers who came here between January last year and the end of September this year, according to these figures from the Department of Justice, only 30% made their claim for international protection at Dublin Airport, while 0.4% or 99 people made their claim for asylum at a port or what the Department of Justice call other. So Pat, this means that 69% of asylum seekers since the beginning of last year Uh, made their uh, application for international protection at the IPO, the International Protection Office, and not at Dublin Airport or a port. And for this year alone, the figure is even higher. 77% made their asylum application at the IPO Mm. and not an airport or a port. So this is intriguing because um, when I'm going through Dublin Airport, I have to, to exit into this jurisdiction. I have to show my passport, even though they might say, hello, Pat, how are you? They still... Uh, go through the rigour of checking my passport. So what ways, if people are not being interrogated by immigration, what other ways are they getting access to the country so that they can seek asylum at the office? Well, that's what I've been trying to find out, Pat. I've been trying to make sense of these figures from the departments. And you'll have some people who fly into Dublin Airport or another Irish airport And instead of going to the border management unit to present as an asylum seeker, some people are obviously flying in from other European countries, um, coming in as a tourist, saying they're here for a weekend break or whatever. And then after a few days, they present for asylum at the International Protection Office. Or, Pat, as we've highlighted before on your show, you may have some people who fly into Belfast or get the boat into Larne, and then they make their way to Dublin and make their application at the IPO. And Pat, I've also been speaking to a number of direct provision centre managers 
And they've told me that a lot of the recently arrived residents had booked return flights to Lubbock Airport but then they go to the IPO to make their application for international protection. So, so if they're stopped by immigration, they show their return ticket, uh, off you go. Yeah, basically. Um, well, the direct provision centre managers have also been speaking to, they've told me that a lot of the recently arrived residents have been living in other European countries, some of them for years before coming to Ireland. So they can say they're coming from that European country and just say they're here for a weekend and that's how they get through immigration. But Pat, I've been speaking to uh, a former deputy director of military intelligence in the Irish Army, Michael Murphy, and he says in his opinion what is happening raises serious security concerns. Well, of course it does, because like if, if you go back into the old cities, you had a, the castle protecting the city. And the whole purpose of that was to check who was coming in and going out. If you have a state and you haven't protected your borders, you're protecting nothing. You have to know who's coming into the country. Because if I'm a terrorist living abroad and running a terrorist organisation and I want to get people into Europe, I'm going to try to find the weakest link. And Ireland seems to be a weak link where we haven't a clue who's coming into our country. They don't seem to be doing proper checks. What could the consequences of this be then? Well, it could be dire. Like, it may not happen today or tomorrow, but certainly we are creating the atmosphere or the, the environment for down the road for things to go wrong. Because all you need, say, you take the an incident in the Middle East where some outrage is, is created and there's um, protests around the world. What have we brought in here that we don't know? Some people might say that's fear-mongering, though, because Ireland's never seen... Mm-hmm. For example, a terrorist attack like other countries across Europe have had in the past. One could call it fear monger, but it's also um, real, realistic. How many other countries, if you look at the European examples, where we had the same number of types of people in the past saying this is fear mongering, fear mongering, and lo and behold, it manifests itself in the Bataclan and, and, and in Barcelona. How many other cities do we have to talk about before we realise? It takes time, but it does happen until you ensure you won't find any of these terrorists outrageous in Poland and Hungary. But is there not a hint of almost racism here when you're pointing at an asylum seeker could be a criminal? Yes, you could call it racism, but you could also call it being realistic. If I'm a terrorist, how am I going to... I want to get into a country. I'm going to use the system best capable or and to a country that I can actually infiltrate easily. And if you're the easiest link, it's like going back to the ordinary thing with burglary. A chief walking down the road and he sees an alarm on one house, a dog in the other house, and he sees an open door in the other one. Which house do you think he's going to burgle? That's exactly what we're doing here. That's a former Deputy Director of Military Intelligence with the Irish Army, uh, Michael Murphy. It just struck me there, Barry, though, that, uh, you know, we're, when we criticise people who come with a return ticket and then go seeking asylum... Um, we Irish went to America with return tickets on tourist visas and they're yeah. still there to this day. Lots of Irish people have done it and at the same time, look, for an asylum seeker, Pat, their main priority is just to get into a country if and then they can apply for international protection. So they just want to get in here and... So they do what, whatever they think is necessary. Is necessary. Yeah. But of course, if you've been enjoying asylum in another European country, that's where you're supposed to remain and not seek asylum here you get regularised in that country and then you can tour tour Europe at will yeah uh, that's once you've established residency the Department of Justice say they do take um, people's fingerprints to check if they apply for asylum in other countries at the IPO but again as I said I was speaking to some direct provision centre managers and they say look 
some of the residents who've arrived recently had been working uh, for years in the UK or other European countries. Now, they may have been living and working there illegally. Mm. They may have not applied for asylum in these countries. You can see the um, advantage, though, of coming, if you're in the UK, come here and get regularised here and then you're okay for the rest of Europe where, because the UK is outside the EU now, it makes yeah, that it, transition yeah. a bit more difficult. So what about the Department of Justice? Do they actually question everyone and say, how did you get in? Where did you come from? What was your route? Uh, do they have those figures? So I sent a few queries to the Department of Justice regarding this and they replied saying that people applying for international protection purposes, regardless of whether they indicated they wanted to apply for international protection at a port of entry or not, need to present to the International Protection Office to formally enter the international protection process. So what we can take from that response is that the government are saying it's okay for asylum seekers to bypass the border management unit at Dublin Airport and go straight to the IPO. Um, So it seems now that it's more easier than ever to apply for asylum here if you can just walk through border management. So I think the figures are only going to go one way. They are continuing to increase in the last year or last almost two years and that and then there is a, an upward trend continuing. What well, had also asked the Department of Justice um, was it known how many people who applied for asylum at the International Protection Office, how many of those people turned up with no travel documents at the IPO? But the department told me that the International Protection Office does not collate statistics relating to applications for asylum based on whether such applicants had travel documents or not now that, when they went into the IPO. actually defies credibility. It's the first thing you do. Where are your travel documents? You don't well, have that, them? That, that's what Take I that box and that... Assumed. No, if you, you'd assume you'd do that as a, just the proper rigorous approach. You go to the IPO, surely the first thing they should be asking you for is yeah, your passport your tra- or travel document. Bizarre. But as I say, the department said they don't collate those figures. But anyway, Pat, I did ask the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, at a recent press conference about this, And Minister McEntee said they are cracking down on those who do abuse the asylum system. We have brought in quite a number of different changes over the last year or two as the international protection numbers have increased. Um, We have a a faster procedure now from safe countries and we've seen that has had an impact um, on those coming from those particular countries. Um, We have started deportations again, which obviously has an impact as well. Uh, We have engaged significantly with uh, airlines and other countries where we have seen increases uh, of passenger numbers coming from. We have fines in place where airlines do not adhere to them. Uh, We're also engaging at a European level, in particular where we had one council uh, decision that we had signed up to many years ago, which was resulting in secondary movements of people who had also already sought international protection uh, coming and seeking it again here, and that has shown numbers decreasing. So we monitor the numbers all the time, but at the same time we always have to be conscious that Uh, Every person that presents seeking international protection has their own story, has their own uh, case and we have to examine and allow that person to make their case so that we provide the protection that people need where they do truly need it, you know, and and that's what's happening at the moment. But obviously the the numbers have increased dramatically. Um, We're trying to respond to that as quickly as possible while making sure that people get a humane and, and, and and. the right kind of response. Well, but do the sheer figures not point to that there's a lot of people coming via Northern Ireland? Because I think there's almost 8,000 asylum seekers arrived here up until the end of August, but yet only, I think it's around 2,600 presented at Dublin Airport. So that there's an imbalance in the figures there. Where or how are certain people coming into the country? And 
again, do you keep track of that? I suppose we, we don't have exact figures of those that have come in either through Northern Ireland um, or, or other ways across the water. Um, what we do have um, is a very close relationship with our colleagues in the UK and Northern Ireland. So that's continuously kept under review to make sure that we are sharing information, that we are engaged with each other uh, and that where people are potentially abusing the system that we have a way to respond to them. But um, it is a challenge. I'm not going to, to say it's not. And that was the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. Some of the texts uh, coming in. Uh, my sister-in-law visits from China every year. Each time she has to provide a tranche of documents, passport, driving licence or other backup ID, bank statements, health insurance, reason for visit, where and with whom she's going to live every single time. Yet some people seem to arrive undercover with any proof of identity or background and they get free accommodation. Uh, why not make it mandatory that they apply at the point of entry? That would give a better picture. If your point of entry is the Irish border... Uh, <laughs> Difficult. There's no one stopping you or talking to you. Uh, Many EU countries are struggling with asylum seekers. It needs to be dealt with at an EU level. Uh, I'm a self-employed person and I struggle with all that entails, but I will never turn my back on those less fortunate through no fault of their own. Uh, They're getting this. The They don't belong here. It has to stop. Remember our economic release valve where our people left for the UK and the USA. That's from Shane. Asylum seekers don't necessarily have to be fleeing war. They could be seeking asylum for anything because they feel their home government cannot protect them. For example, women fleeing genital mutilation, an individual fleeing a criminal organization, etc., etc. And the the question always remains is, yes, but why would you pick Ireland? Um, You know. That's always a question when there are perhaps neighbouring territories that might be hospitable and uh, much nearer home than Ireland. Um, The Justice Minister said the government have started deportations again. You also have figures on that. Yeah, the Justice Minister said that in that press conference, they started deportations. Um, And as we know, Pat, as I said earlier, since January 1st last year, over 22,500 asylum seekers have arrived here up until the end of September. Now, during the same period, according to the Department of Justice, 1,144 deportation orders were signed. However, since January last year, there were only 36 enforced deportations, while 45 people voluntarily left the state after they received a deportation order. While the department say that this is also important, that it is also important to note that many individuals who withdraw from the international protection process or who are subject to a deportation order leave the state without notifying the relevant authorities and that this number in particular is difficult mm. to quantify. So we've no way of knowing um, because often people who stay here will have no papers and will be paid in cash by people who possibly exploit them. Yeah, so there's no way of knowing who voluntarily left, but it's 36 enforced deportations, 45 voluntarily leaving that they know of. It's very low compared to the numbers that are arriving here. All right. Barry White, our chief reporter. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.